Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, natural disasters can happen anywhere at any time. Gail McGovern is the president and CEO of the Red Cross. She has details on what you can do to be prepared and what they do to help no matter where or when one happens. Kidney disease is the fastest growing non-communicable disease in the country, affecting 37 million Americans. LaVarne Addison Burton is president and CEO of the American Kidney Fund. Don Edwards is an AKF patient ambassador from New York City. They'll be joining us today to raise awareness of what to look out for, especially since kidney disease for most goes unnoticed until the damage is done and and it can be too late to avoid major health issues. Hundreds of former Girl Scouts and supporters were in our area recently celebrating the 100th anniversary of Camp Archibald. Emily Loader joins us today to bring us the details on that recent event. And did you know that Camp Archibald is available for you to use for events? She'll have the details on that as well. We're going to start off special edition today by meeting Jackie Galvin. She is with the Griffin Pond Animal Shelter, and she's going to tell us the places that you can go to have a great time as well as helping out Griffin Pond. Jackie, we've caught up with you. You're a busy lady doing all kinds of things, but maybe you can give us a quick what's happening right now at uh, Griffin Pond. Thanks for having me on, Paula. There's always something happening at Griffin Pond. There's never a boring day at the shelter, that's for sure. Um, always lots of animals to take care of and a lot of really nice animals to boot, which makes it even a much more rewarding experience. Um, we do have a few different fundraisers coming up that we've partnered with um, some other organizations. Roba's Family Farms, which is so popular in our region and such a great place to enjoy a fall event with your your family or your friends. They um, are having a special fundraiser this year for all of the different shelters throughout our region um, have been invited to participate. And throughout their season that they operate with their fall events, they are having each rescue have a weekend dedicated to them. 
as part of the Robas Family Farms Rescue Me fundraiser. The weekend for Griffin Pond is Saturday, October 23rd, and Sunday, October 24th, at the Roba Family Farm, where everybody goes to get their pumpkins and run the corn maze and, you know, go down the giant slide and have cider and apple cider donuts and whatnot there. Why do it, um, why does we'll, it sound to me like you've been there, Jackie? <laughs> well, I have a five-year-old son, so, uh, yeah, I've been there quite a few times. Some, and, uh, somehow I he, thought he had something to do with that. Yes, yes. You know what, though? Even if you don't have children, it's still fun. It's, um, I had been up there even before I became a mom, before my husband and I were blessed with our son, we, um, had been up there and it's really a lot of fun for any family to go there through all the different, um, you know, events and activities that they have there. And they're very animal friendly. They have the stunt dogs that fly and jump off of the uh, different ramps to catch frisbees and things like that. So that's pretty neat. And that says to me that you're going to have some pups and maybe kitties there too. Well, yes, yes. That one we will have some animals at. And um, we'll also have Griffin Pond shirts, and we'll also be collecting, you know, donations. If anybody would like to bring them up, we'd be more than happy to take them. And Robas has uh, generously said any tips they get that weekend, they will be donating to Griffin Pond as well. So it's a really nice opportunity and really nice of the Roba family to host this event for all of the shelters. And we're honored, you know, to be able to be the featured shelter the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. And we'll be there from noon to four. Now, there's another one that's coming up. And this one, I know there will not be any puppies or kittens at. But anybody who goes is going to be able to help the shelter. And this one involves music. Yes, it does. Coming up, I'm sure... Many people are a fan of the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which is always such a a well-drawn event for the public to attend. They really enjoy it. And that they're having their Christmas Eve and other stories. They're having a celebration of the 25th anniversary already of their Christmas Eve and other stories. But they're having their concert. They're having um, on Sunday, November 21st at the Mohegan Sun Arena at Casey Plaza. They are having two shows on the 21st at 3 p.m. and at 7.30 p.m. And for each of those events, each ticket that is sold will have a portion of the ticket sale donated to Griffin Pond. And that's courtesy of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra themselves, as well as 98.5 KRZ, which is also a good friend to Griffin Pond as well. Which I have to say is one of our Odyssey stations (laughs) that you're hearing special edition on today. All that. It's amazing (laughs) how these things come together. (laughs) Isn't it? It is. It is. But, you know, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra has become such a a link between the holiday seasons and... um, they really just, you know, put on quite a show. I personally have never seen them, and I've always wanted to, and I've just never gotten around to it because sometimes life gets in the way when you want to do different things. But this is one, you know, especially with the proceeds going to the shelter that I might just have to snag two t- tickets and uh, get my husband to go down with me, and we'll go check it out because oh, uh, you'll love it. It's, it's quite spectacular from what I hear with the lights and the you know the music and everything, and it's a nice way to kick off the uh, 
the Christmas season that'll be coming up. So And a double nice, nice way because you're helping out Griffin Pond. Absolutely. It's such we're thrilled, you know, that, that this could happen and it's such a great opportunity to have, you know, to help the the shelter in such a, a positive way. And I, I, from what I've been told, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra themselves, every show that they do, not just this one for Griffin Pond, you know, the two that they're having, but all of their shows, wherever they go, they pick a local charity to support and donate part of their ticket proceeds. I don't know how known that is, but that is something that they do. And, and that gives me an extra incentive to want to support them because it shows that, you know, they want to help out wherever they go. So I, I I think that's really, you know, kind of them to support the regions that they perform in and the people who live in those regions. Well, Jackie, I'm going to make a suggestion to you. Maybe you should get in touch with them and tell them since they are supporting Griffin Pond, that maybe they would like to meet someone of the four-legged variety that they would be happy to take on tour named TSO. Oh, hey, that's a great idea. And, you know, we could always use um you know somebody that could that can adopt because we always are looking for responsible adapters, and that would be a really nice thing if it's an animal that's you know comfortable with noise and and with a lot of people and things like that. Yeah, that would could, be great. Not that their adapt- music is noise, but to an animal that's just loud, it's loud sound. They don't understand you know all the time notes and whatnot. Although some do. I saw a story on the news the other day with a bird that was dancing to different beats. So maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. Well, but take, <laughs> take that as your mission. See what you can find out. Yes. We need a Griffin yeah, Pond TSO. Find out. <laughs> yeah. That would be very cool. That would be. And you know what? The tickets aren't are easy to um, access. You can, uh, of course, buy them um, at the Mohegan Sun Arena box office. They're on sale there. But you could also get them at Ticketmaster and you can all online and you could get them at KRZ's website. And if you want some links right to those ticket sales, if you go to Griffin Pond Animal uh, forward slash TSO, that will take you to a page on our website. And from there, you can um, find the links that go right to Ticketmaster and right to KRZ's website. So it will be easy for you to find them to, you know, pick up your tickets if you'd like. Great. Now, the last time I spoke with Ashley, she was uh, Mm -hmm. telling us about the fact that the shelter was really, really full. And Oh, it is. And how are things now? Well, I mean, you know, we do a number of adoptions each week, which we're very grateful that there are people out there to help. But, you know, for every animal that goes out the door, there's always one coming in right behind it who needs our help. And, um, you know, we pride ourselves in, in being able to provide care, you know, for, for these animals that need help. But we don't receive any sort of funding from the government or anything like that. There's no, you know, any there's nothing that offsets our expenses other than the generosity of the public. We're able to do what we do because of the public's help. And, you know, we're the largest no-kill shelter in our region. There's very few no-kill shel- no-kill shelters to begin with, but we are um, the largest one in the region, and we take pride in that. Um, animals are not euthanized at Griffin Pond, only if absolutely necessary. There's no such thing as a, well, we're going to euthanize because we're full, or we're going to euthanize because this animal's been here a long time. Nobody wants it. We don't do that. It, we 
if that animal never gets adapted, it will live its natural life in the shelter and just stay in our shelter family until, you know, God chooses, you know, to take it home. Or if, you know, it got sick or something like that happened naturally in cases like that, where there's nothing else that could be done to help the animal to get well from some sort of medical problem under those circumstances, an animal will be put to sleep, but those would be the same sort of circumstances. You know, you might find yourself in with your own family pet where, you know, there's just going to be suffering. There's not going to be any kind of a positive outcome. Right. But I mean, we go as far as taking animals, you know, to Cornell and, you know, to the veterinary hospital at Cornell, which is one of the finest ones in the country. I mean, we've taken them for physical therapy, acupuncture, you name it. Um, these animals get it. Whatever they need, they get. And we have a great volunteer who, you know, she's also our volunteer coordinator now, actually. And um, her name is Sherry Crowley. And she does a fabulous job with rehabilitating animals. And she really goes the extra mile. So we're grateful, you know, for her help. And that's why it is such a necessity in order to have donations and in order to have volunteers. So, Jackie, once again... Give us those days where Griffin Pond's going to be out in the public and how people can get involved. And I guess that means your website and phone number, too. So I'm going to turn it sure, right over to sure. you. Okay. Well, thanks, Paula. Um, the events that we have coming up toward the end of the month on Saturday, October 23rd, and Sunday, October 24th, from noon to 4, we'll be at Robo's Family Farm participating in the Roba Family Farm Rescue Me fundraiser. And at that event, we'll be on hand selling um, merchandise, collecting donations, and we'll have some of our animals at the shelter as well. And then into November, as we approach the Christmas season, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra has generously agreed to donate a dollar from each ticket that they sell for their concert on November 21st, they have a 3 p.m. and a 7.30 p.m. show at the Mohegan Sun Arena at Casey Plaza in Wilkesbury Township. And they have agreed to, like I said, a dollar from each ticket sold to those events will be given to Griffin Pond through the courtesy of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, as well as 98.5 KRZ. Those tickets you can find at the Mohegan Sun Arena box office. You could get them at Ticketmaster Online or KRZ's website, and you can find links to both of those websites at griffinpondanimalshelter.com forward slash TSO. And if you have any questions or would like to just donate to the shelter, you could visit that same website or you could always give us a call, uh, 570-586-3700. Thanks again to Jackie Galvin from the Griffin Pond Animal Shelter with all the details on the upcoming event at Roba's Family Farm, the 23rd and 24th. And then, of course, the TSO concert at Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkes-Barre Township coming in November. They're donating $1 of each ticket sold to Griffin Pond. And we here at Odyssey are also very proud to be part of of that fundraising effort. Now, when we come back, we're going to meet Emily Loader. She's going to tell us about the recent 100th anniversary event for Camp Archbald and answer some questions about, can you use Camp Archbald? 
Sure, she'll have the details next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Emily Loader with Supporters of Camp Archbald is here with us to bring us the details on their recent 100th anniversary event. It brought hundreds of former Girl Scouts and supporters to our area for a weekend of fun. And did you know that Camp Archbald is also available for you to use for events? Emily has all the details on those and what's coming up in the future. Emily, nice to catch up with you again. And of course, you had a big event. The supporters of Camp Archbald got together. Tell us all about it and more importantly, what's to come in the future. Thanks for having me again. Uh, We had our event for fun at Camp Archbald Looking forward to 100 more years of adventure on September 18th, in which we celebrated um, 100 years of the camp being um, in uh, active membership for the community. And we were able to um, have campers, uh, former you know counselors and alumni come out and uh, celebrate uh, at Camp Archibald with us. Um, and we're excited to... Um, see some volunteers and some uh, members of the community look and see how they can participate um, in supporters of Camp Archibald for the future. And as far as the event goes, you know, you said that there were so many people there. What were the what were some of the highlights of the day? We had a ton of different displays available for people to look at. We had um, vintage uh, Girl Scout uniforms from like the 20s and 30s um, that we had um, a lot of our current girls and adults get into. Um, We have lantern slides that were digitized uh, that were available for viewing and a lot of awesome memorabilia um, from the last 100 years, uh, old photographs and scrapbooks and uh, mess kits uh, that people really enjoyed and then the biggest highlight was we dug up the time capsule that was buried in 2000 uh, for the 80th anniversary. And we were able to have those contents available for viewing. And then we collected lots of different things and buried a new time capsule uh, to celebrate and commemorate the 100th year of Camp Archibald. And with some of the people that attended, were there members who had been members and had gone to Camp Archibald many years ago? Were they? Were there some of those available who were also telling their stories about how much has changed? Yes. One of my favorite activities throughout the whole day is we took decade photos. And so for each decade, um, from the 40s all the way up, um, we took pictures of people who went to camp during those times. And so our, our oldest camper on the property was 91 years old, and she first went to camp in 1939. Uh, so it was amazing to be able to talk to her and ask her questions about camp and see kind of what was different. Um, and then as part of being on the, the committee, um, I fortunately just had a daughter a couple of uh, weeks ago. And so she was able to be introduced as the newest generation <laughs> of campers uh, being eight weeks old. And so we had a pretty big gap between our, our youngest camper there and our, our oldest camper. Um, and it was really amazing to hear all the differences, even from um you know, people that went there in the the 80s and the 60s, um, you know, still a big difference from, you know, girls who went there in, you know, 2010 or 2020. Um, And it's really wonderful to take all of those pictures and um, really have people come from 
all over. I personally came from Maine. We had, you know, uh, campers and alumni come from Florida, South Carolina, Ohio, New York, uh, and of course, Pennsylvania. So it was all over the map and it was amazing to reconnect with all of these amazing people. Wow. Congratulations. Pulling all this together and, and so many people and congratulations on your little one as well. She's uh, she's going to be the next one around the campfire and making s'mores and it was just sounded like it was a fascinating weekend and and so much fun. Here's hoping for more. And before we talk a little bit about what's coming up in the future, of course, you can always use donations. And I'm sure that your older campers are surprised at the way that the donations can come in now because you have this set up through all kinds of different areas through social media. Yes, we have um, tons of different ways that people can donate. Um, we'll be embracing Giving Tuesday, which will be on November 30th of this year. Um, people can go to our website, supportersofcamparchball.org, um, and use the donation form on our website to give. Um, we also have a PayPal and Venmo account. Um, our, our, our handle is at supporters of CA. Uh, and, um, you know, people can always send, you know, a uh, check to us in the mail at PO Box 22, Mahoopany, PA, 18642, or sorry, 18629. Um, and we are using all of those different funds and the donations that come in to help um, fix some of the buildings, offer camperships to girls to attend resident camp. Um, and make sure that we continue to help maintain the property um, and buy supplies for different events and offer programming for girls as well. Um, we are always accepting um, donations of any kind that can go towards uh, camperships, um, maintenance for the different uh, buildings and um, pieces on camp, uh, and helping to run programs for girls in the community. Um, and we're um, always looking for volunteers who can, you know, do help with uh, programs or work days at camp or do a lot of stuff remotely like me. And one of the other aspects of the uh, big fun day on the 18th of September was, and again, one of those things that many of your older campers might uh, not have even anticipated in their heyday was that you were live and is there still opportunity to see some of the uh, festivities on your YouTube channel? Yes, we're in the process of getting our videos uploaded from the day. We had several speakers, um, Nikki Morissell, who is uh, president of supporters of Camp Archibald, uh, Janet Donovan, who is the uh, CEO of Girl Scouts in the Heart of Pennsylvania, as well as members from our Honduras um, committee and different activities throughout the day um, that happened in, co in correlation with our opening ceremony. So we'll uh, you'll be able to uh, like and find our channel on YouTube at Supporters of Camp Archibald, um, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. You'll be able to see pictures uh, and videos from the day, and then we'll be uploading stuff throughout the rest of um, the month and through October for people to check it out. And speaking of October, you have some opportunities again coming up for girls now is this for the public or is this mostly for the uh, girl scouts themselves well we have two uh programs that are planned our trail adventure day on october 3rd and our fall weekend the 15th through the 17th so those specific events are for our registered girls and soca members um but on october 10th 
We'll be having our general meeting uh, at, from 1.30 to 3 via Zoom. And that is open to the general public, to the community. If you want to find out how, um, what activities are coming up for SOCA, how you can get involved, um, plans for resident camp next year, we really encourage you to um, attend our uh, general meeting. And we have those second Sunday every other month from 1.30 to 3. And of course, it's going to be into the fall and winter season, but Folks have an opportunity to utilize the beautiful grounds up there. And if you can just give our listeners a little bit of a how they might go about doing that, that would probably be very appreciated, especially during the time of the winter when there isn't a lot of camping activities going on. Yeah, the community and a lot of people think that summer is really the only time to visit camp, but it's really open all year round. You know, winter camping is is the best, I think, because you get to sled down a lot of the hills. You get to uh, cozy up by the fire in some of the buildings, you know, and, and drink hot chocolate and just do a lot of winter craft activities and do some hiking as well. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. So supporters of Camp Archibald helps to um, answer any questions for people that might um, need to know about the property or not sure where they want to stay. And Girl Scouts in the Heart of Pennsylvania uh, owns and manages the property and they handle all of the reservations. Um, So you can contact um, either one of us um, and we would be able to kind of help send you to the right person and um, help you find the space that you want to. But uh, rentals are open to the public, uh, non-Girl Scout members to come out and use the camp. You can use it for corporate retreats or field trips or um, any type of event that you'd want to have. We have a huge uh, dining hall as well as a lake um, that can be used for swimming or boating activities. Um, And fall is a wonderful time to be at camp, especially with all the the leaves changing. Um, So you can visit our website, supportersofcamparchball.org, and we can answer any questions for you and help send you in the right direction to um, help you, you utilize the camp. All right. Emily, is there anything that maybe uh, I haven't mentioned or you haven't mentioned yet that you would like our listeners to know about? Uh, We'd really love for you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at supporters of CA or at supporters of Camp Archibald. You can visit our, excuse me, you can visit our website, supportersofcamparchibald.org for all of our upcoming events and information. Uh, And our next biggest activity will be Giving Tuesday on November 30th to where you can give a dollar or you can give $500. Any amount is welcome. And we're always looking for volunteers. Uh, So please contact us at media. For F-O-R, SOCA, S-O-C-A, at gmail.com, and we'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks once again to Emily Loader of Supporters of Camp Archbald for joining us today. And if you would like to see any of the highlights of that recent event, or if you would like to find out more about Camp Archbald, or maybe even becoming a supporter of Camp Archbald, you can go to their website, supportersofcamparchbald.org. Now, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that you may have and not even know it, kidney disease next on special edition next on special edition the signs of kidney disease are subtle lavarn addison burton president and ceo of the american kidney fund and don edwards an akf patient ambassador are here to tell us about it 
Dawn, good morning and welcome. And maybe you could give us just a little bit of an overview of your story. Uh, sure. Um, I was diagnosed with kidney disease when I was 23 years old. Um, I had a two-year-old daughter at the time. I was newly married. I had a great job working for the government. And I was having um, bad headaches um, for a, a period of time. And I had no idea that it was related to kidney failure. Um, my blood pressure was high. And that's what was causing the headache. And when I was diagnosed with kidney failure and I started dialysis, I tried to remain working and tried to be a you know present mother and wife. But um, with kidney disease and needing dialysis, everything pretty much went awry. Um, I ended up going on uh, dialysis, uh, going on disability from my job, and um, my marriage also fell apart. Um, you know, one of the most difficult things with dealing with kidney disease is adhering to the dialysis schedule. It was really a huge burden on my life. And that was 1993, correct, Don? when it started? Yes, that's correct. So a lot of things have changed. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of then and because I understand you're also now on home dialysis, so a lot has changed in there. Oh, yes. Um, it's been 30 years since I've been diagnosed. So at the beginning, when I first started dialysis, I started going to the dialysis center three times a week for four-hour treatment. But once I started to learn more about kidney disease and about the treatment options, I found out that I had different options, and as I grew and as I learned more, um, I was able to explore those other options. I had a kidney transplant, which lasted for six years, and then eventually that kidney stopped working, and I went back on dialysis, and that's what led me into home dialysis, which I've been doing successfully for uh, over 10 years. And that's made a big difference on the um, quality of my life and what I've been able to do. Excellent. Congratulations. Glad to hear that you're doing so well. Say someone is newly diagnosed today. You think that they would be having different thoughts than you had back in 1993? I think we have so much information available now that you can learn about kidney disease and how to manage it. Um, beforehand. Um, the, the issue is to be sure that you're seeing your doctor regularly, that you're having those blood and urine tests that you need to diagnose kidney disease, and that you're doing the interventions and making those lifestyle changes that you need to make um, as soon as possible, because it doesn't have to um, end up with you being on dialysis or needing a kidney transplant. You can prolong the need for those um, for those interventions if you start early. And of course, thanks to folks like uh, LaVarn Addison Burton, who is the president and CEO of the American Kidney Fund. LaVarn, give us some of the, uh, you know, a lot of changes made from 1993 when Dawn started. And have things changed even as far as common causes of kidney disease? The common causes of kidney disease really have not changed. The most prevalent causes are high blood pressure and diabetes. 
you, you can't refer to those too often. They account for about two-thirds of the people who are in kidney failure. And so the main thing that you want to do if you have either one of those diseases is to stay on top of them, work carefully with your healthcare providers to do everything you can uh, to keep them under control. Uh, what has changed, as Don said, is that we've got a lot more information, and that's what our Kidney Action Week is all about. We're trying to share that information with people. We want people to understand that, yes, this is a serious disease. It's the fastest uh, growing non-communicable disease at this time, but it is not inevitable that you move to kidney failure. And so what do we do in order to help you prevent that? Lots of information, lots of um, support uh, through our ambassadors like Don in terms of sharing information. And what you need to do is very much control those diseases that I just mentioned, diabetes and high blood pressure. Understand your family history. Uh, if kidney failure is prevalent um, as you get older, uh, if you are African-American, if you are Hispanic, you're at higher risk for, uh, for kidney disease, for kidney failure. And work with your doctor, your health care provider, making sure that you're getting the simple blood and urine tests that you need to assess your kidney health and talk with your health care provider about what your lab results mean. So would, besides the idea of having high blood pressure or diabetes, are there symptoms of kidney disease itself? Unfortunately, kidney disease is one of those silent diseases that you really don't get symptoms until your kidneys have already been damaged. The symptoms that you may get at the latter stages are things like um, swollen feet, like nausea, um, even sleeplessness are things that may happen. So that's why it's so important that we, every time you do your physical, to make sure that you're getting the blood and urine tests and that you're look, asking your doctor to explain to you, um, you know, which indications there are of, of your kidney health. Those are the things that you really want to do. The, the other thing that you really want to do is lifestyle changes, which we say are so important to so many things. But, you know, uh, controlling the diseases, following the doctor's um, regimen of care, um, maintaining a healthy diet and weight, um, not smoking, all of those things can be of, of tremendous help. Exercising, all of those things that we hear over and over again can help us uh, in many cases avoid this disease or if we have it, slow down its progression because we don't, we want to do everything that we can to avoid moving into kidney failure. Don's story is exactly that, um, that, that often people don't find out. And that's why it's so important to ask. Um, when you go to the doctor, you get a whole list of lab results that you have. And, you know, actually read those lab results and, and come to understand what they mean and where you've got questions. Ask your doctor or the nurse to explain those to you. You know, we really have to, all of us, Take as much responsibility as we can for asking questions. Don't don't be hesitant. Um, that's what the healthcare professionals are there uh, to give care, but also to educate us. And that's why we're doing Kidney Action Week because we want to give you the tools that you need to take care of your health. But having kidney failure, even if you've had a family history of it, it is not inevitable. And that's the message that we want to get out this week. Uh, you can go to our website kidneyactionweek.org. You can participate in live seminars. 
or if you miss them this week, they will be recorded. You can come back. Information is absolutely true that information is power to helping us protect and improve our health. And that's what we're trying to do with Kidney Action Week. And Don, are you still there with us? Yes, I am. Don, tell us, uh, you know, LaVarne just mentioned Kidney Action Week. So, again, you're speaking from experience. I'd like to hear it from you. What do you suggest that people do in order to hopefully uh, catch these things early? Yeah, the first thing that I would say is go to the doctor. Get those regular checkups. Get those examinations. Just like LaVarne said, talk to your doctor about your blood test results. Um, Blood and urine analysis can detect um, early stages of kidney disease. You can find out whether you have it or not um, early, and you can make those necessary lifestyle changes. The second thing I would say is if you find out that you do have the early stages of kidney disease, that's the time to take action. Don't wait and think that it's going to go away. Um, Start reading participate in these wonderful educational events like Kidney Action Week. Um, There's so much information that's available to help you to manage and to help you to be able to do some of the same things or keep your lifestyle the way that it is now and not have to make such drastic uh, changes to your lifestyle when you go into kidney failure. Thanks once again to LeVar Addison Burton and Don Edwards for giving us the information we need on kidney disease. Disasters can happen anywhere at any time. How can you be prepared? Gail McGovern, president and CEO of the Red Cross, is here with details on that and how they're prepared to help. Being the president and CEO of the Red Cross, you see a lot of things that are happening across the country. And again, we just had here in Northeast Pennsylvania, the remnants of Hurricane Ida go through. Other things have been happening. What when the when the Red Cross hears about all these different incidents, what what goes through your mind? Because there are so many people that count on you. Well, Um, First of all, Paula, thank you for having me on your show. And I I have to say, my heart just goes out to the people that have been impacted by these multiple uh, natural disasters. I mean, there are people that lost their homes, all their belongings. Some people lost their loved ones. And you mentioned Hurricane Ida. Um, I saw firsthand what was going on in Louisiana and I made a visit to New Jersey. I know your state was impacted. I also talked to the governor of New York. Um, there are parts of New York that were impacted. And um, it, it's a very, very large uh, hurricane that touched so many different lives. And um, what goes through my mind is we've got to take care of the people that uh, have been victims of these these multiple disasters. So we're providing overnight stays in shelters and in hotels. Uh, We have emergency response vehicles that we send out into communities and they contain either uh, uh, supplies like cleanup kits because people are trying to muck out of their homes or hot meals. We can serve about 60,000 
meals a day and we're doing that um, for Hurricane Ida. And um, also we have a lot of grief counselors and mental health counselors and um, spiritual care counselors that are helping people get through this. And, you know, when you said what goes through your mind, I mean, at the same time, um, we're dealing with wildfires out west. And, you know, these have been raging almost three months now. So, um, you know, we're here to help. It's what we, our volunteers live for. Um, but it's been um, really quite a disaster season already. Gail, how did you ever find yourself in this position? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um if you mean literally, how did I become the <laughs> CEO of the American Red Cross? Um, I uh, got a call to consider it. And the minute I, I heard about the opening, I feel like um, this is something that I could do and truly make a difference. And, um, you know, my parents both volunteered and, you know, it, I was just drawn to the Red Cross and, you know, it, this year has been extremely difficult because of so many different disasters, but it warms my heart to know that Red Crossers are there helping people through their darkest hours. Well, I have to say, uh, I'm, I'm just... I'm just amazed because, again, when you think about the Red Cross, and we have wonderful Red Cross here throughout Northeast Pennsylvania, and when I when you think about them going to all these different disasters, and here you are that is leading all of this, I, I can't even imagine getting up every morning and looking and seeing the latest newscast and saying, oh, no, that happened last night. Now, you know, we're, we're going to have how how do you how do you get all the resources that you need? Because, again, there are so many things that are that are happening. Well, um, first of all, um, I do love this job because I know that I'm helping people. but. Second of all, it's all because of our volunteers. I mean, they are humanitarians. They see a need and they just have to fill it. And they care deeply about the mission and they care deeply about helping others. And even during a pandemic, they are coming out and making sure that people have what they need as they go through some of the darkest times in their lives. And it's you know, even after 13 years in this position, um, I can tell you that when I visit people in, in our shelters, um, like I have for Hurricane or Ida, you, you do absorb a lot of grief. And it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, but it's also heartwarming to know that you're making a difference. And again, you mentioned the volunteers. And as I said, we have wonderful volunteers throughout Northeast Pennsylvania, especially when it comes to blood drives. And there is so much emphasis on blood drives now, especially with the pandemic and all these different types of things that are happening. Again, you have so many different wedges to this pie that it just, blood drives, Gail, that's something that, again, you really have to, you know, when you go out and you say to somebody, we could use money, but blood, that's... That, that's really something special. You know, um, 
I could not agree with what you just said more. Um, I am amazed at the people that regularly donate blood. And there is nothing I like more than going to one of our blood drives and just asking people, so why do you donate blood? And you hear the most amazing stories. You know, my niece has leukemia. My son is waiting for a kidney transplant. But most of the people say it's because it's the right thing to do. I mean, they are giving blood to save the life of a total stranger, and they know it. And, you know, people are relying on those blood products to stay alive. And it, it's just, it's a very heartwarming um, experience because, you know, the American public is so generous. I mean, everything we do is because of the generosity of the American public, whether they're giving us time, they're giving us blood, or they're giving us financial gifts. And it's one of the privileges of being in my role because I get to see the generosity of the American public every day. It's it, it must be such a balancing act, too, because, again, as you said, you see you actually get to see. And do you? I know you said that you came to New Jersey, that you were you were in New Orleans. Do you actually have the opportunity to get out and see local Red Cross in action? Um, I do. And um, it, it's so gratifying. You know, in, in my last visit, which was in New Jersey, we pulled together all the volunteers and went through, uh, you know, the morning ritual of figuring out where the help is needed and so forth. And just looking at their faces, people that are giving the most valuable gift of all, the gift of time, it's really amazing. And then when you go out and see them in action, um, helping people in their darkest hours with, you know, a gentle touch or listening to their stories, giving them assistance, it's um, really something to see. Um, And it's, I think it's life-changing for the volunteers who can also give the gift of time because they see the impact of their work. And again, when we're talking about volunteers, you wouldn't be able to do all that you do without the volunteers. And when people are going to volunteer for the Red Cross, what do you want them to know Hearing this interview, you know, I think we just take the Red Cross, not for granted, but they're there when you need us. Isn't that the slogan? It really and truly is. And, um, you know, you say that we couldn't do what we do without our volunteers. Ninety percent of our workforce is volunteers. And for people that are considering it, what we look for is folks warm hearts that are willing to help others. And, um, you know, there are all kinds of volunteer opportunities at the Red Cross. We have people with CPAs that, that retired that are helping volunteer with our finance teams. Um, we have people that volunteer at blood drives. We have people that volunteer at shelters. Um, and, you know, we have small shifts. We have long shifts. We, we try to gear the volunteer opportunities to the needs of the people that want to help out. Um, we have volunteers that respond to home fires in the middle of the night, making sure people have a place to stay. So there's so many different things you can do if you want to be part of the Red Cross family. 
And Gail, I would love to talk with you more because I just find it so when I when I found out that I was going to have the opportunity to talk with you, I looked a little bit at the uh, website and I looked a little bit at, at you and they, I just I'm, I'm just so honored to be able to talk with a person who has such a responsibility and is so down to earth about it because that's what it's all about. What would you suggest if people would like to find out more? I know you have a great website. Maybe you can give them that location and anything else that you would like them to know about the Red Cross. Um, well, first of all, Paula, thank you so very much for your kind words. I, I deeply appreciate it. And for people that want to help the American Red Cross, our website is redcross.org. They can also call 1-800-RED-CROSS. And our website has all different kinds of volunteer opportunities. It, there's an opportunity to make a financial gift. And any gift, regardless of its size, is so deeply appreciated. And the website will also tell you where the closest blood drive is if you would like to donate blood. And um, any uh, any donation, whether it's blood, time, or money, is not only deeply appreciated, but it's the way that the Red Cross becomes the Red Cross and helps people in need. Gail, it's been my pleasure. Mine too, Paula. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.